You're listening to the Empowering Process Podcast with your host, Gail Kraft. Listen as she holds frank discussions around how your purpose, being present, and trusting your power impacts your life. Whether you're an entrepreneur, leader, or developing your vision, you'll find wisdom and insights you can utilize right now. Welcome your host, Gail Kraft. Hey everybody, Gail Craft here and the Empowering Process Podcast. And I have with me this marvelous, marvelous woman. And it's Cheryl Swisher. Right? Yay! Yes. Hi, Gail. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, it's so amazing to have you. Now, Cheryl is at first an attorney. Okay. So she is definitely an attorney. Um, she is a life and career coach, and she is all about being a domestic abuse advocate. And all of this comes from a background, some of, the, of which we kind of share, right? We have some similar yeah. experiences, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. We have a lot of similar experiences. And it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And so the background we're talking about is emotional blackmail. And so let me kind of frame that up for you a little bit and then we'll chit chat with, with Cheryl, the amazing woman. So for me, emotional blackmail is where someone is able to control you both emotionally and actually even physically in some respect without laying a hand on you, right? It's the language that they use. It's the way that they make you feel. You know, you start off feeling, you know, pretty amazing, pretty special, pretty, pretty cared, much cared for. And then the next thing, you know, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not this enough, you know, and I experienced that in my first marriage, I will, will say, and I know that my family, his family listened to my podcast, um, but it's a fact that, you know, I was told I was ugly. I was too fat. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't whatever I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't and I believe that I tried harder and it still wasn't good enough and I tried harder and still wasn't good enough and I've got to tell you that I was 25 pounds thinner than I am now being told I was fat yes right it's amazing and and so I was working out I mean I worked out so much I hemorrhaged oh my goodness right right so um you know my light bulb when that went on um really was when other people were starting to tell me, I don't know why you're listening to him. And, you know, at one point he did raise his hand and that was the end of it for me. So we're going to talk to Cheryl about her experience. And we're going to talk about, you know, having that, those blinders, right. Of, you know, why, why did, why did you believe this stuff? Right. So, so, and then why did you finally not believe this stuff? And then how you get out of that situation. And Cheryl's definitely a contact with that. So Cheryl, tell us a little bit about um, some of the blinders you had up during your um, moments of living through this kind of chaos, this kind of control. Right. Well, thank you, Gail, for this opportunity. And I'm, I'm looking back on it in my head and um, I can tell you this, one of the blinders was the fact that I wasn't sophisticated. I didn't realize that for probably six months into our relationship, he was studying me. He was learning my weaknesses and he was learning my strengths. 
and he played to that. So the first six months, he was fabulous. Anything I needed, he he bought it. He was there for me. I was, I was his whole world. And of course, he was going to take care of me. He wanted me to be his wife. And that first six months, I was just, I even remember telling a family member that I was just on top of the world. But during that period of time, what was happening was he was studying me. So after the grooming period, the, the um, just the white knight coming in to save me, I, I then started to see there were things that I would say and he would automatically snap at me. And so then it was a, it was a smooth transition into you're this great person, where have you been all my life, to you can't think on your own without me. As a matter of fact, Gail, I was in a graduate program. I was in a graduate program. He hadn't even finished um, college, community college. He, he was GED. He had his GED. There's nothing wrong with that. But here I am in a graduate program with lots of life experience. And he had me convinced that I need to make all decisions based on going through him first before I made a final decision. And I think the blinder was, it was such a smooth transition from being on top of the world, I was the greatest, to um, everything. He started critiquing everything, the way I dressed, the way I talked, who I associated with. It wasn't all of a sudden. That is the blinder. It happens very slowly and gradually. Um, I will say this, if it had been all of a sudden, I wouldn't have stayed in the relationship. Right, right, because, because you it, it, the trust is built up. So this is, um, that's narcissistic behavior. Yes, right, absolutely, yes. right. And it's not, it's, it's not just with amorous relationships. I worked for someone who was exactly like that. Yes. That I, I mean, she had me hook, line and sinker, believing in her, trusting in her, gonna go to the wall for her, gonna help her move her, her business along. And then, and that's how she treated everybody in her life. Everybody, right? Exactly. Um, and, it, and you're right, it's, they get to know you, they make you feel safe. They make you feel safe initially, but then what they've done, or in this, well, I've studied it. So I know this is textbook. What they do is they know your vulnerabilities because we all have them. They know your insecurities. And one of the things about me, which was a big blind spot is I had a need to please. So he knew that he could work that to his advantage because remember he had given me validation i wasn't seeking validation for myself i was seeking validation from him at this point he had given me so much validation and then when he started chipping away at that i was imbalanced i didn't know what was going on why i wasn't as good and i needed to be better and that was the framework for which we had our relationship that i needed to be better and um, he, he worked that to the point where I had zero self-esteem, zero. 
right? Right. And it, and that's, you know, the the self-esteem and what's what's really interesting, um, at least my experience with with my um my ex was that nobody knew. We were when we were out the perfect couple. Everybody wanted to be us. I am not kidding you. Right? Because because yes. I certainly was not going to tell my family this stuff was going on. Exactly. Right? Certainly not right. going to tell my friends this stuff is going on. Because it's embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. It's interesting because while you're in it, you're asking yourself, this is not, you're thinking, this is not right. You you can't put your finger on it. You you love the person, but you realize something is not right here. This is not the off comments, the criticisms, the jabs. And the whole time, it's almost like a crazy making process. And then you become secretive because you can't tell anybody that you're in a situation where you're being totally controlled. Yeah. It was amazing because most of my family knew he was 12 years older. They, they were, they knew that we were not a good match. And um, even strangers would say, is that your, is that your, you know, is that your boyfriend? <laughs> or is that your husband? He was totally different. We're from a totally two different backgrounds. And um, it, it was a nightmare, Gail. And it wasn't, <laughs> it was emotional. It was emotional abuse, verbal abuse. He hadn't really laid a hand on me. It was a nightmare, Bill. That's all yeah. I can say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it's very difficult to explain that type of manipulation until you've been in it, right? Yes, um, yes. Yeah, and so for, for me, the day that I woke up, well, two things happened, and then I want to talk to you about your waking up and what you did. Um, I had a baby, a little girl, mm-hmm. and... I started thinking, I don't want her to grow up thinking this is normal, that this is okay, right? Um, I did not want her to experience what I was going through whatsoever. And then the night he raised his hand um, because I didn't have dinner on the table when he came home at 9.30 at night, right? And, um, And I just said, pack your bags and you can go. And it was then that I was like, okay, put your big girl panties on, Gail. You've got this child and you're doing, you're going it alone. Yes. Yeah. And and that was it. There was no going back. Right. But it took a lot of sucking it up before I got there. So, um, and then I reached out to family and friends and got support and guidance and, you know, got a really good lawyer and so forth. For you, what woke you up? (laughs) Um, Well, it it had become so extreme um, and family members were starting to notice. And I remember um, my uncle who actually introduced us he didn't know he was like that. And he, uh, he came to me and said, something's wrong here. He's very, very jealous. You've got to get out. You've got to get out. See, he knew a little bit more than other family members did. Um, the thing about it is at a certain point, I knew I had to get out, but I couldn't get out. Right. See, so what happens, it's a brainwashing. 
So yes, you know you need to get out, but remember, he's totally controlled my mind. I don't think I'm strong enough to get out. I don't think I'm smart enough to get out. So I didn't have the confidence that I have now. I didn't have the self-assuredness that I did that I do now. Um, and so I prodded along and he did become very, even though he didn't lay a hand on me so much, he became so physically intimidating. I remember one time I literally thought he was going to just knock me in the face. He just got right into my face and he, his face looked like a devil. And I prayed inside. I said, God, please. I thought that was the end of me. And, and I'll tell you right before he did that to me, all I asked him was, could we watch a different channel? Because we were watching sports. We were out of town. I said, is there any way we could see something else? We're in a hotel room. He said, get up, get up out of this bed and, and go to the next bed. It was a double bed. So as I was getting up to, to go to the next bed, he met me. He cornered me against the wall and he was this close to my face and he had his fist reared back. He was angry at me. So you tell me, that's the backdrop. I didn't do anything wrong, but I've gotten him upset. So anyway, I went along with all of this. I went, it was my, well, let me just break it down. It was my fault because I went along with it. Okay. Um, but what really, what really happened at the very end when I realized I just couldn't do it anymore was that, uh, he was complaining that I was, uh, by this time, we were living in the same household. And he was complaining that I was using up all the water uh, and he needed money, he needed money to pay the bills. Mind you, he worked and I worked. So where's all the money going in? You know, we were getting collection notices on the light bill and you work full time. He said, because I wasn't paying my way and he needs the money. And so January 1, he wanted to know why I had made the deposit into his account. And back then, years ago, you couldn't just do online banking. They were closed on January 1. I tried to explain that. And we got into a heated argument. And that was, I, I pray to God, get me out of here. I knew this, this was not going to work for me. He was, he was, I, by this time I was in counseling and even the counselor was like, you got to get out. Um, and and so, you don't want to hear that. No, I didn't want to hear it because see, when, when people start telling you, you got to get out at that point, they assume that it's very easy for you to get out. Your mind is in prison at that point. Right. It's not easy. And so, um, but thank God I realized that I just couldn't do it. I knew I was going, I was dying physically and mentally, mm -hmm. and I was going to die quickly. And I asked God, I prayed to God, please get me out of here. So that, so that next day, January 1, we were having an argument and that's when he shoved me. I went into the back room to call 911. He called 911 at the same time I did. The police came and he tells, tells the police, sir, could you get my keys from her? She has my keys. This is my house. And so I left that day. I had, an, I had another place the whole time. Wow. And so I left that day and I never looked back. It was the hardest thing I ever did in life. 
I thought I was physically dying. My heart broke. I, you know how people say broken heart? Oh my God. You can that is die crazy. from a broken heart. Don't you feel like you're dying? I, I, I did die. That old self had to die. Right. And um, Gail, that was the hardest. But you know what? I put one foot in front of the other. Each day, I took it day by day and I kept moving and kept moving. And I feel liver. I just, a, a tingle comes over my body. Because it was, it was, it was, that was a serious time. Yeah. And, and honestly, and I, you know, I do believe we go through the fire to come out the other side, you know, it, it hones us. There's a reason for it and all of that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll tell you, Charlotte, one, at one point, and this is not when I left, this was a couple of years before I left. Um, we were in a high rise apartment and I was on out on the patio on the railing, ready to jump. Oh my God. Right? And a voice in my head said, why are you jumping? He's the one, not you. Get off the railing. Oh my gosh. Right? Because I could see no way out. Yeah, you you don't. No, you don't see a way out. Right? And, and, And you think it's hard. And it is hard. Don't, don't get me wrong, folks. But hard is hard. You're living hard anyway. Getting out is a different kind of hard. <laughs> right? It is a different kind of hard. Yes. I, I, if I can say this, it's so much more than what we're saying. Because we live the journey, it's, it's the day today with these types of people of not knowing when they're going to explode. So you try to do everything in your power to control circumstances. What you say, what you wear, God forbid, don't let anyone flirt with you. That is a major problem. You're trying to control, you're literally walking on eggshells and you live this life of just extreme neuroticism. It's insane. I remember weekly, washing the floors on my hands and knees and waxing them. Wow. Right. My ex-sister-in-law used to say you could eat off of your floors. Literally, you could eat off of your floors. Right. And I worked a full-time job, by the way. Right. Because because the house wasn't clean enough. The clothes weren't clean enough or, or, or whatever. It's just what you do to bring peace and balance to the family. It's, now, I will, I will be honest with you. Um, would I have ever been involved with a narcissist again? Well, probably not. Would I ever be involved in a relationship where keeping the balance was my primary purpose? Yes, I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Um, and, you know, so because I didn't work on my root issues. You're right. You are so right. Gail, that's, that's amazing that you mentioned that because that is my story. While I've never gone back to someone that extreme, I have had relationships with men that didn't treat me well. Why? Because I was seeking validation from them. How can I, if you're seeking any, if you're seeking validation from outside of yourself, they control you. And um, it wasn't really until I would say the last probably year that I realized the problem is me. I, I'm never going to attract that type of man 
you know, abusive, toxic men like that, but there are spectrums. And if you don't work on yourself, you will, you would keep replicating. They might be better, but you're going to keep replicating the same notion that you're not good enough. Right. Right. Or that it's all your responsibility. Exactly. Yes. 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 And in those relationships of those abusive relationships, you couldn't even think that anything was the what was the person's responsibility. It had to have been yours. You didn't do it right. You didn't dress well. You your, those clothes were too tight. That's why that gentleman flirted with you. It was all your fault. Oh my God! Yes, yes. Oh, you no, know, no male friends over the house. No male friends. Oh, you know. oh of course. Right. No, but oh, even no. though they're gay, hello. <laughs> oh, and another thing. Don't give any male friends or teachers a compliment. There was a gentleman in my master's program, my instructor. He literally was 85 years old. I would come home and say, oh, he's so smart. And he said, don't tell me about another man. This man is 85 years old. I'm not interested in an 85 year old. At that time, I was probably 30. (laughs) He didn't want to hear about another man. (laughs) Because of their insecurities, right? right? Exactly. It's that narcissistic need to be your whole world. But what's really, really interesting, so we talked about, you know, waking up and then it's difficult when you get out. And we both mentioned, you mentioned that you went for, for help, right? And until I started working on myself and went for help, there was no change in me. Right. Exactly. And so talk, talk to me a little bit about what that journey has been like for you in um, in the soul searching and the, you know, I call it, you know, CTJ come to Jesus mo- moments with yourself. Exactly, Gail, that's exact. That is exactly right. Right. Um, the, it's, it's a sense of powerlessness and worthlessness that you really work through. And um, what has happened to me over all these years is that I kept attracting the same kind of man, the man that was so uh, captivated with me initially, but then started to slowly unravel um, any self-esteem that I had. And I realized that after you look at all of these different relationships, which I haven't had you know, hundreds of relationships, but you look at and you see, you start to see the patterns and you realize that you are the issue. And I started to really look at myself and start to say, no, I'm, I'm worthy of much more than this. And I just started working. I've been working on myself intensely for the last year because I will get into old habits of allowing, uh, or not setting boundaries. And allowing things like, well, I don't have time for you. Or, you know, just things that you shouldn't accept in a relationship. Right. Or overgiving. Overgiving is a big thing for me. Where if I'm giving everything, all the time, all the energy, all of the juice in the relationship, and they're not giving as much, that's a problem. Right. So um, during this course of about a year to two years, I have really kind of looked at myself because 
I don't want a relationship in my life that's bringing me down. I don't need that type of relationship. And my self-esteem is strong now. It's strong. So I would anybody- say that I've probably been doing it. I'm trying to figure out like 2000, no, 1999 is when I started seeing counseling. And that's where I started. Yes. Yes. And I have to be honest with everybody out there. So, you know, it's been a long time. I've been working on myself. It doesn't ever stop because as you peel the onion, something else comes up because we're all flawed. We all have issues. We all have baggage and we have things that we've since children, since two that we've buried, right? That when you clear the surface, they pop up and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. And I think I went into counseling back in, it was early on, but specifically for this relationship, I would say around 1997 and uh, seeing a man counselor. And you know, he told me, he said, I don't usually do this, but you've got to get out. (laughs) I'm sorry. He's like, I don't usually just give direct advice. Right. Gotta get out. You and isn't get that out. a scary thing? Because my first my first husband, we did go to counseling, and his counts that counselor told me the same thing. And this was a counselor through the church. And <laughs> yeah. yes, and I walked out of that going, the church is telling me to leave the marriage. Holy crap. What what does the, holy crap? I was like, now what? Right? <laughs> yes, yes, right? yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly enough, it, it is the solution to leave, but without the tools, how do you do, how do you do, you've been brainwashed all these years or months. It, it doesn't take long to start the brainwashing process. No. So without the fortitude and the tools, it's really very difficult to leave. And I, I and I, I do say you should leave, but it's not an easy road leaving either. No, but there are organizations that you can go to. I think you and I talked about, um, I've been connected with the YWCA here um, locally, and you go to the YWCA and they will put you, you know, in in a safe place. You know, they will get you food and clothing. You just show up. If you have kids, you hold their hand and you just go. Leave everything behind. They will take care of everything else. Right. Yes. Yes. And and I'm so glad you mentioned that, Gail. Yes, there are places to go physically, but you have to do the work emotionally. Right. Right. Because you you'll just end up there again. And and it could be worse. I mean, you and I did not have a worse situation um, when we started the repeating pattern, but it could be worse. It could be worse. And Gail, also, if you keep going back, it gets worse with this gentleman, with the person that you're with, it gets worse. It's dangerous leaving. So if you're going to do it, you have to do it once and not look back. Well, because Mm -hmm. going back means they don't believe you when you leave. Right. Exactly. And so they feel comfortable in being even a little bit more controlling. Exactly. But you've also triggered that uh, maybe sense of abandonment. And so then they try harder. You will, you may not get out next time, Gail. Oh, not alive. Not alive. Not alive. And so one of the things you are, you are a domestic violence advocate. And as we said, it's not necessarily physical violence. 
Exactly. Right? There's lots right. of emotional violence and emotional control going on there. So yes. tell me a little bit about what you do for um, women. And yes, there are men. Believe me, there are some nasty women out there too. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, um, I am. One of the things that I do, as as you know, I I am an attorney and I'm a divorce attorney. And so when I have a client that um, is dealing with domestic uh, violence issues, what I try to do is um, take on the role of a, a counselor, a domestic violence advocate for them because they need a little bit more than just filling out paperwork and all of that. So what I try to do is I do lots of talking, lots of listening, trying to get them to understand that what they're seeing is real. The person, that person has a problem and they have to get out. So my conversation is focused on safety because what I want them to realize is the court, as much as they can help you, they cannot save you. I just had a conversation with one of my clients and said, safety is number one. So if you have to leave for the weekend, you let me know, you know, just let me know, but you have to look out for yourself. And that's what I, I do with my clients. I work hand in hand. I'm, I'm really holding their hand. My focus is not so much on the legalese of getting the divorce and getting all the paperwork done. Yes, I want to do that, but I want to get them out safe. Uh, Gail, I actually had a client who was killed by her husband. So I know these things can happen. And, uh, it's it's a very dangerous situation. It's 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 a very I I as a matter of fact I do what many attorneys shouldn't do. I actually worry about my clients sometimes when they're that in that situation. So one of the things I like to do is get them information about all of the resources in their area. I actively look for the, the resources. And I spend a lot of time with my clients. I don't care if they call me every single day. If they need to, I want to be their lifeline. Um, that's what I do. I'm, I'm there for them. And it's, it's, it is no tough talk. When you're going through that, you don't need that tough talk. You need someone who's listening, but someone who is going to say, no, they're not the best guy. It's not your fault. It is time to leave and you're making the right decision and I'm going to help you move forward. And you have to get them to start thinking about where can you go safely? Who can you call on to be a resource for you? And that's absolutely, how absolutely. You know, um, when I divorced my first and I went to the, a lawyer Mm-hmm. and you know told her what was going on and she said that is emotional abuse yes. she said, that's very hard to prove and I had a calendar because because I thought I was crazy yes. I thought right so I started logging what was going on every day and the yes. time and because I thought I was nuts right and right. so I gave her the calendar and she goes oh this is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> right this is this is all we need You've, yes. you've got it, right? Because it's, you know, um, what happened day in and day out, yes. right? Yes. right? That I fell victim to that I, and, and I wasn't, I allow victimization, you allow the victimization yes. to happen, yes. right? Um, yes. And so I allowed that to happen. Um, and I will, I'll tell you, I did come out stronger for it. Yes, I still 
um, backslid in certain areas, but you know, there are times where, you know, I'll just dig my heels in and say, no, yes. no. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Gail. And you're right. You do come out stronger for it, but I say there are other things that make you strong too. <laughs> and I, I, I tell you, that is not something, this, that process is not something I wish on anyone. It is the most painful process. It is the most painful process. And, you know, so both you and I, you know, I'm very, very spiritual. You're very, very religious. Yes. Pray. Yes. I meditate and pray. Um, and I always ask, I don't need the brick thrown on my head or the brick wall. Just keep tapping on my shoulder. I will eventually listen. Just keep tapping. Don't give me the brick wall anymore, please. I don't want any more brick walls, right? <laughs> yes, you're right. Oprah said something uh, like Oprah Winfrey, and she said something many years ago. One year she wanted to, she asked God for clarity. And she said at the end of the year, she had been through so much. And she said, so she doesn't ask for clarity anymore. And, and I'm like that too. I used to ask for strength. I tell God now I'm strong enough, but if you have something that can, you know, help me along, that's fine, but I'm strong enough. I don't, need, I don't need any more strength. It, it, it does, it does make you become a stronger person, but it's not for the weak. And um, the, the main thing is this, you need support and you need at least one person you can talk to. And, and, and that person, if, you know, if I had to be on the phone with you at nine o'clock PM because you're scared or because you need to know what the next step is, that's what I'm going to do. I, I throw away the office hours and all of that because that situation is a very scary process. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When, when I work with clients, I block out three hours, even though my sessions are, you know, within an hour, 50 minutes to an hour. Yes. Because if you're in the middle of a breakthrough at the end of a session, <laughs> I'm not going to say our time is up. Just hang on to that thought for a week. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Right. I will ride through that with as long as it takes for you to get control of yourself. Right. And get exactly. to the other side. And I will take the call at nine o'clock in the morning. I will be on the phone for three hours while you're driving, trying to talk things through. Right. Because exactly. like you, what matters to me is that my clients achieve what it is that they're trying to achieve. And some of them, you know, it's very emotional what they have to go through. Yes. Right. Because it's change. And what we're talking about is change is the scariest exactly. thing in the world. As abusive as these relationships were, I was comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I was never really comfortable. He, he, he made me very uncomfortable. Um, interestingly enough, I probably would have stayed if I was a little bit more comfortable. Um, I will say this as you're talking, um, when I finally got my master's degree in counseling for all, I'm going through this and I have a master's in counseling. The day I graduated, <laughs> the day I graduated, I remember telling him, not the day I graduated, but right before that, I remember telling him how one of the professors thought I should become a doctor in that field and get my PhD. And he didn't talk to me for three days. 
he didn't like that idea. He didn't want me talking about a professor and he felt like you're putting your career in front of me. And he didn't talk to me for three days. So he, it was systematic. He never made me comfortable. I got comfort that first six months. That was it. But thank God for that because I would have stayed in it. That's, you need to be uncomfortable. You yeah. got to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. So my my comfort was family. Yes. Um, you know, um, we had family together. We had a life sort of together and that I did not want to lose. Yes. And, yes. and I knew I had to lose it. And I mean, there's so many factors in making a change um, in, in any change in your life, but this in particular, because you're walking away from half your life. You are. And, and you're walking away from who you used to be. Right. But that person is still with you. So now you have to do something with the person that's inside. But you're walking, you're choosing not to be that person who allowed the situation anymore. So you have to recreate yourself. Yeah. Right. And that's that's exciting. Right. <laughs> so, it is so, exciting. Uh, so Cheryl, I want to thank you. I thank you so much. I mean, you and I probably could talk forever about so many things that we've discovered is, is um, a commonality for us. But if people wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Yes. So if they wanted to call me, uh, they could call me at 713-543-8821. Or they can... Um, should I give my email address? If you feel comfortable, yeah. Okay. Or they can simply, um, they can email me at chswisher, which is my last name, at aol.com. And that's uh, AOL, which shows you how old I am, Gail, because <laughs> most young people don't use AOL, but they can call me. They can actually text me on that number too. And I will... I don't, I don't care if they don't need legal services per se. If they need someone to talk to, I want them to tell me. If they're looking for an advocate, if they're yes. looking for advice, if they're looking for resources. Exactly. Whatever. If they just need someone to talk to them to validate what is going on, is really going on, I want them to reach out. Right. Yes. Right. That's my mission. They, that's your mission. I love it. So everybody, if this rung a bell with you, or if there's somebody that you know that maybe you could listen to this and it might help them, please share it with them. Like it, comment it. We'd love to see your comments and we'll respond to the comments. This is Gail Craft from the Empowering Process podcast. And thank you so much, Cheryl, for spending some time with me. Thank you, Gail, for having me. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Process Podcast. Be sure to visit Gail at gailcraft.com to learn more about how she serves thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and goal seekers. And remember, if you like this broadcast, be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.